Morning, Dr. Clothier. Good morning. How are you? Still in duty, I hear. Yes, All right, sir. Yeah. But very good. Now you look like you're local. <laughs> From VentureX Studios, it's JP, Kathy, and the crew. Hey, good morning. It is Monday morning. That's right. That means we've got Dr. Norm Clothier joining us from Family Healthcare Associates. You can find one. Now, Dr. Clothier, you guys have 14 or 15 locations for Metroplex. Just 11. We're 11. We'll on it at your encouragement, but we only have 11 locations right 11 now. 11 locations. So yeah. you can find one around where you are close to you. Again, they work with everybody from zero to 135,000. Yeah. 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 For those. Yeah. For those who live really yeah. long. Well, yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you, oh. we've got a lot to talk about. You know, I don't know if you heard this morning, Dr. Clothier, or if you get, you know, information brought out to you through medical journals or through notations from associations, but they've come out now and said that Pfizer now says that the vaccination is good for five-year-olds. And uh, yeah. So and, is, there, uh, is there, I mean, I'm sure there's science behind that. Did, were you aware of that? Did you know that was coming out? There's been science behind all of it? Yeah. Yeah. It, let me tell you, it, just as a reminder, first of all, the virus is bad news. It's a bad infection. Children's hospitals have been filling up with children with the virus. And the uh, the vaccine came out after 18 years of research and no no medical scientist wants to put out a bad product and no medical scientist wants to be known as, you know, the rogue, uh, bad science person. And so the, uh, it's been said, of course, in humans for quite a long time in human models and all kinds of, um, you know, even computer models and study mechanisms. And it's been peer reviewed and all those things. And we have other immunizations for children. Uh, there are 17 required to go to school at the moment. And so they've been working on a lower dose. Uh, it's kind of like with tetanus. There's a Tdap for age 7 and above, and there's a DTAP for age 6 and below. That's just a slightly different dosing uh, based on body size averages and expectations of immune effect. So Pfizer is working on a lower dose vaccine to use in children. This will allow people to, you know, be able to be healthier going to school, less spread of the virus, fewer uh, bad case reports of teachers dying of COVID because the students come to school with it. And I think it'll be, you know, it's yet another medical breakthrough that I think will drive some people nuts because they'll say, oh, how could you possibly give a shot to our children? And I would suggest, look back at the history of measles, rubella, mumps, polio, pertussis. Look at the deaths uh, prior to and then after the shot. And I'll tell you, when I was in medical school, the uh, vaccine for Hib, which is Haemophilus influenza B, came out. Hib was the cause of meningitis and permanent hearing loss in infants. And I was uh, in... 1989, doing my pediatrics rotation when the shot came out. Before the shot came out, 
we were admitting every other night we were on call at Children's Hospital in Dallas. We were admitting about 20 to 25 babies with hib uh, meningitis. Some of them died. A lot of them lost their hearing. Most of them had some degree of brain damage. About 25 every other night, from my personal experience. After the shot came out, we admitted about two. Uh, when I went back and looked at the numbers, two per night for that first year. And then, uh, you know, it dropped down to now, almost no one knows anybody with that type of meningitis. That was from a shot being developed and being reasonably used, and at that time, down to age two months. Now, this Pfizer shot, you know, they're asking for approval from age five to 12. And I think that'll be yet another breakthrough in defeating this virus. We don't, we don't want everyone to be, you know, either dead or debilitated by the virus. That's not good for anybody. And it's especially not good when it's your family member or friend or your student in school or your neighbor or, you know, any of those things that happen. So, Dr. Clothier, you know, and, and I guess to, to shift a little bit, so there's been some controversy between the FDA and the White House in talking about the vaccines and talking yeah. about boosters. Um, I, I mean, should people go out and get boosters? Should they not go out and get boosters? Well, I believe, and this is one of those things that also is a challenge for people to digest the information, but I believe the White House is primarily political. That may seem strange, but I think that politics have dictated one line of thought, which in this case is President Biden's White House wants people to have boosters. When you look at the science, the one reason behind the idea of a booster or a third shot is really probably what it should be called, is the fear of waning immunity, that the immune response decreases with time. And of course, all re immune responses do decrease with time. But it turns out when they actually crunch the numbers and look at it, people's immune response has not decreased much over time, which means the shot is very good. And, uh, you know, that's another thing that's going to drive all our, you know, more uh, uh, oppositional friends away from uh, being able to argue the shot well. So it turns out the shot's immune response actually lasts quite well probably better than the native infection that if you got the infection you don't have as much immunity so for now politics is not winning it is medical information and that is that it's likely reasonable to have a third shot if you're 65 or over or at very high risk like having you know an organ transplant being on active chemotherapy and we are uh lumping in health personnel if you remember Healthcare personnel. If you remember when the child first came out, <clears throat> it was available to healthcare personnel and people over 65 and the severely immunocompromised. It's very similar to the original rollout. So there's the third shot given. The hope is that those people at highest risk will be protected. I can tell you, everybody in medicine really wishes just everybody get the shot rather than being you know, wanting to argue, being obstinate, saying, oh, I'm young, I won't get the infection, or it's just a cold, or, you know, it's no big deal, it's just that my dad's in the hospital on the ventilator, it's not really a serious deal, and, you know, it's amazing to me the stories I've heard over the last few months that just are illogical. If you just pop somebody into the setting by time machine or whatever, they would be shocked to hear some of the arguments 
against the shock compared to prior diseases that we've been able to handle. So, uh, and, you know, I've even heard somebody was telling me the other day that we shouldn't fear this virus because you have to even have a test to even know if you have it. And, I, you know, the people that are short of breath in the hospital dying on the ventilator, they don't need a test. We do a test because we, you know, want to try to figure out what's going on with the infection, the long-term repercussions. But it's not like it's, oh, it's no big deal. You know, it it is a serious virus, and that's why I hope to get through to people. It's very you serious. Know, Dr. Clothier, some other things have come out. Um and I, I think it was either Pfizer or Moderna that released the information where, and, and this is where I'm confused and looking for a little bit of a, a, some medical explanation, if possible, is that if you had received your first series of shots at some point, I don't remember if it was, if you received them in the first run, those shots were better than the ones that were in the second or third run. And so those in the second or third run, need the booster, but those who got the first set of shots, that's lasting longer. Uh, again, I'm, it was confusing I no I idea. the article. To be honest, I don't mean to sound rude, but I have no idea because there is no second round or first round difference. Or, you know, the Pfizer uh, BioNTech shot is that shot. The Moderna shot is that shot. And then the Johnson Johnson Janssen pharmaceutical shot is that shot. They haven't changed. Um, I don't know what that's talking about. I think it may be that you ran across something that talks about if you've had COVID itself and get the shot, you have better immunity than if you never had COVID and get the shot. But it's a small increment better. But the emphasis on that is if you had COVID, you still should get the shot because you could get one of the newer variants like Delta or Mu that we're seeing out in society. And, um, I, I honestly don't have any idea where that rumor came from, but that speaks to other rumors, which I want to address, too. You had brought up a prior week about the rumor that the test is carcinogenic and dangerous, and that has been so well shown to not be true at all. That was a lie that got out there on somebody's video that got popular, and it speaks that ethylene oxide is a uh, sterilizing agent in a gaseous form that completely clears out from the swab. You know, you want a sterile swab to test for a virus because you don't want to pick up everything in the environment. It's kind of like trying to get pure DNA at the crime scene. You know, if you had everybody come in and, and uh, you know, touch a wound or touch a, a murder weapon and then try to do DNA, you're not going to get a clean sample. So you want to use, you know, a, a sterile swab and so that's the idea of a test well ethylene oxide is used to sterilize the swabs in gaseous form completely dissipates disappears uh there was a confusing video put out apparently by somebody uh that got extremely popular on social media which is by the way is not the best place to get medical information and uh it claimed that antifreeze was used to clean the swabs and that antifreeze causes cancer so Therefore, you're likely to get cancer if you have a COVID test, and none of that's true. No antifreeze involved, uh, no liquid form, no no trace product on the swabs because it's a gaseous form that is blasted away in the sterilization process. I think what happens there from the analysis, I was 
reading about is that, you know, people confuse chemical names and they confuse a process that they're not involved in. And, you know, if people aren't involved in the sterilization of a swab and the process and the cleaning, uh, you know, it's kind of like the pasteurization of milk. That has been shown to greatly reduce disease spread. And there are some people that say, oh, I don't want my milk pasteurized because, you know, it, it's dangerous. Well, it's heating and cooling of it. I, in general, we don't worry about heating and cooling of things. Uh, that even happens environmentally. Sometimes my car is warmer on the inside until I cool it down with the air conditioner. That doesn't mean it's causing cancer. And, uh, you know, I think people get really wildly confused by those things. I also hear still people saying, oh, I don't want to get the shot because, it's, you know, it's not FDA approved. It's just an experiment. Well, the Pfizer shot is FDA approved. I haven't seen a big pickup in the, all those people that told me, oh, I'll get shot once it's approved. I just wanted to prove because I love the FDA or whatever. And, um, you know, I don't think that's making change. I think those people just don't want to get shot. And, you know, the problem with all of that from the medical standpoint, this is not a White House effect. This isn't a government ruling. This isn't the governor's office or the mayor or the Dallas County Commissioner Court or any of those things, the challenge with the medical aspect of the virus is it spreads person to person uh, very quickly and easily through particulate matter. And if we could provide a essentially a medical barrier against that by having people who don't get infected possibly carry it for a short number of hours but don't get infected and carry it for day after day after day and spread it to people, we could limit the infection to very reasonable numbers, much like we see with other infections in society. And the people who, you know, so far have decided they don't want to join in that effort of limiting infection, including to themselves, by being unvaccinated, it's allowing the infection to still thrive in the community. And I, you know, I still worry about the long-term repercussions of having the virus, I hear from more and more people on a near daily basis who still have no taste or smell or still have fatigue or brain fog or headaches or shortness of breath or wheezing. I have a patient who's 31 and was previously doing triathlons and got the infection in June of 2000 and has been wheezing, 2020, excuse me, has been wheezing ever since. And, you know, he had none of that prior to the infection. Now he's 15 months in and still wheezing and can't do his, you know, basic walk and run, much less a triathlon. So I think the effects are, are serious and severe. And I think people have got to get a real feeling of the fact that it's not political, it is medical. And I, you know, we just have to be reasonable about that. So Dr. Clothier, another question that, that is surfacing you know, again, with Pfizer, you said, you know, of course, Pfizer's been FDA approved, whereas Moderna is still in that process. Um, can you mix and match vaccines in a booster? Like, you know, if you took Moderna, can you do the Pfizer booster? Yeah, that's a really good question. And the answer is yes, if you'd need to. Uh, it is, it's not necessarily recommended that you do that in order to try to get a little different immune response or whatever, although I believe that day is probably coming where we'll say, you know, boy, if you had Pfizer before, get Moderna, you get, you know, two or three or four percent better protection, maybe. 
We just don't know that yet. But the word right now is if you're in that high-risk group that's over 65 or has had solid organ transplant or on active chemotherapy for a cancer or you're a healthcare provider, if you are due at eight months after your second shot of one of those and somehow in your community there is no supply of the one you had, then you should get the other one as that third shot. So in other words, I have Pfizer vaccine. If I had my two over eight months ago, which I did, then, uh, you know, I could go uh, hunt down a Pfizer, which is actually easy because it's everywhere now. Uh, or if for some reason, you know, there's a sudden shortage and the truck got stopped in traffic that's delivering it to the community or whatever, and Moderna is available, I could get a Moderna shot. But the recommendation is stick with the same. And part of that is we just, you know, we obviously are still collating information about the effect of the virus and on, or the effect of the shot against the virus and long-term issues there, just like we still do. You know, there still are reporting mechanisms if somebody has any reaction to, say, a flu shot or a Hib or a Tdap or any of those. You know, there is surveillance. People pay attention. Medical people really want what's best for their patients. Um, I can tell you I've had a lot of patients that, that frankly have, you know, demanded certain things of me that I don't feel are right in terms of odd treatments or unproven treatments, and I've tried to point them in the direction of proven treatments, like monoclonal antibody infusion that is clearly a benefit to people with COVID. And, you know, most of those that I've sent or told to go have gone, had that infusion, and are markedly better. We've had a handful that just tell us, oh, you know, we're going to find a real doctor who will give us, you know, one of the other purported treatments. And then, you know, mostly they end up sending some sort of nasty note saying, I can't believe you wouldn't do anything for me. And, you know, we try. We, we're trying to get monoclonals going. And some people do have a mild enough case. They don't need to do any specific treatment. I can tell you, antibiotics don't work against COVID virus because it's a virus and antibiotics defeat bacteria, for instance. So, you know, it, it's a time of great, of great deal of confusion for people. A lot of weird, odd stories, kind of like that one about the uh, formaldehyde and the pest swabs that's false. You know, that the shots are now recommended for pregnant women. There, there was a lot of debate about, you know, the shots causing infertility. That's not true. Rates of pregnancy are the same uh, in those with shot or those without. It's recommended during pregnancy so someone doesn't die during their pregnancy of COVID. And the baby has a little bit of protection. And, you know, all those things, if you look at the actual medical data, uh, it, it's favorable by far. It is being looked at very carefully with, with great scrutiny. There are not rumors that in that get thrown in as conjecture and, uh, you know, causing uh, people to to kind of lose sight of the fact that we're trying to defeat a very difficult virus. And medical scientists are incredibly meticulous with trying to be sure that the right product is out there at the right time, whether it's a third dose. Uh, any of those things, whether it's children, all those factors are carefully considered through medical science rather than rumor. And I think that's very reassuring. 
You know, Dr. Clothier, we've got um, a couple of questions that have come up. One of them is, um, is the natural immunity uh, better than taking the vaccine? No. And that, let me address that again, if you missed a few minutes ago. That is, if you had the virus before, natural immunity wanes before immunity from the vaccine. So if you had the virus, you might have been immune for a while to the original strain you had, but not to any of the variants. So the recommendation is if you've had the uh, COVID infection at any point, get the vaccine also because the combination of prior infection plus vaccine is uh, a so-called often being termed in media super immune, meaning that it's, a, it's better than one or the other alone. But having had the infection plus the vaccine is great because it helps cover the variants like the Delta mutation, the Mu mutation, Lambda mutation. And so if you had the virus, you had one strain and you might have lingering immunity against that one strain. But if you get the virus and the shot, you'll have better immunity than someone with only the shot or only the virus. But you also have immunity against the various strains that we're seeing. Um, so I would not say, you know, if somebody says, oh, I had COVID, I don't have to worry about it. Not true. I've had quite a few patients now with a second infection. And, you know, they're... Uh, you can't predict how bad it'll be. Some of them are really bad the second go around. Some are about the same, but uh, you need to get the vaccine. So some other questions being put on the feed, Dr. Clothier. Um, myocarditis, and I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. You are. Uh, causes permanent heart damage. There are no mild cases. This is a serious side effect. And the person goes on to say the autoimmune syndrome induced by adjuvant. I don't know if I said that right or not. I'm not sure. <laughs> uh, A-D-J-U-V-A-N-T-S. Mm -hmm. And then in parentheses, Asia, a.k.a. Schoenfield syndrome, encompasses inflammatory conditions, phenomena that are induced by exposure to substances with, and again, A-D-J-U-V-A-N-T activity, just to make sure you know what that is. Yeah. Me, I, I I would have to look into that because I think somebody's still got something pretty obscure there. Um, but going back to the first one of myocarditis, the rate of myocarditis carditis with the virus is higher than the rate with the vaccine. There is inflammation in the heart. You may remember a couple of pro athletes had that last year, sat out the season. There was a New York Yankees pitcher, uh, a couple of different people with myocarditis from the virus. And viruses can hit the heart lining. It can be random. It can be other viruses than COVID. There are a number like Coxsackie virus, other adenoviruses, um, in addition to the novel coronavirus of COVID-19. And uh, in most people, myocarditis is a self-limited condition, meaning that there's recovery of the heart muscle. Uh, that has indeed been the case, and the couple of pro athletes who were public about that, they have recovered and returned to pro athlete activities, which are, are pretty intense. And the general population has rate of infection of myocarditis also. So that has not been shown to be a uh, cause from the virus. It is being looked at because there have been reports 
but you know, much like if you remember the uh, when J and J hit, uh, you know, some there was talk about some blood clots that there are up to 15 people with blood clots out of 8.6 million that were vaccinated, and you don't hear about that now because it was also then realized that that's about the same rate as the general population. What happens when there is a, a uh, compassionate release of something like a vaccine to help defeat a virus is everything going on is reported because people have surveillance of themselves if they are given that vaccine. So they, uh, they have to report what happens when they have the vaccine. The general population does not. So, for instance, if you hear, oh, you know, the guy in Miami has stroke after his shot, well, Keep in mind, there are strokes in the general population. They're just not going to be reported through uh, FDA, CDC, WHO channels because it's the general population. Uh, you know, I think uh, I think it's one of those attempts to say, "Oh, the the shot's more dangerous than the virus." I can tell you, the virus is far more dangerous than the shot, if indeed any of those things are attributable to the shot and that's what we have to find out over time we well, know that a lot of death and disability is attributable to the virus um, one last question dr clothier and i know you've got to run um what about vaccine causing ed in men my nephew not getting it because that's what he's heard yeah i, I uh, have not heard that one yet that's got to be social media rumor i cannot think of a mechanism by which that would they're just, you know, that's just illogical that there be a connection. Well, and I'll tell you, I don't know if you want to go back and look at the feed, Dr. Collier. I know you're very busy or um, have somebody from your staff. There's a lot of discussion in regards to um, what Dr. Michael, and I, I think his last name is Yedin or Yedin, who was the former Pfizer VP about vaccines and what's going on there and a lot more talk about. And again, I, I don't know if it's adjuvant or adjuvant. Um, but anyway, a lot of interesting conversation going on. And, and as always, thank you for joining us and being with us and tackling this. I mean, it's become extremely controversial because it's been highly politicized, that's for sure. Yeah, and it is, it's just really important to realize the virus is bad. You know, nobody wants to be in a situation of harm or danger. I still believe very firmly that the bulk of the harm and danger is from the virus. And, you know, if, if you are unvaccinated, get the virus and die, you are, you know, you're gone. And that's, you know, I think uh, with the vaccine, if you recover, then I still think the odds are greatly in your favor. And I think that's, you know, where we got to look at the medical side, keep the politics out. I don't think the White House should be declaring when to get a shot. I don't think they ever should have been. I don't think that is the role of, you know, the, the government, they should prop up a doctor and, you know, allow doctors to make that decision about the, uh, the response to the virus. Unfortunately, those doctors who have tried to make a reasonable response have been destroyed in social media and, you know, all but told that they are, everybody kind of claims they're idiots and that everybody knows better than those people who study this continually. And I think that's sad, too, because that's also politicized. That's largely because people don't want to wear a mask or 
support something like that. And, you know, I'll just remind us as a last thought here and then I do have to go, but, you know, doctors and nurses for years have worn masks in an operating room to prevent the spread of infection. None of that has killed them by breathing their own carbon dioxide or, or you know, being strangulated or dizzy or all the things I hear. I had a patient the other day that told me she can't wear a mask because it, it cuts off her oxygen and she gets headache and almost passes out. And she was wearing a mask talking to me while saying that. And I, I think it's a perception. But I don't think it's the truth, and I think people have worn masks for years for medical limitation of viral spread and bacterial spread and other infections, and none of those things should be political. All that should be medical, reasonable thought about protecting other people. And I think it's sad that we've lost that perspective on protecting others. I think our ultimate duty as Americans is to honor the our fellow people and and try to, uh, you know, prevent the spread of a deadly disease. So I'll look through the comments, see what I can figure out for maybe next week's discussion. Like I said, if you have time, I know that you are extremely busy and seeing lots of patients, but yeah, there was a lot of interesting conversation there for sure. Dr. Clothier, thank you so much for joining us as always, and have a blessed week. Thank you very much. You too. All right. Dr. Norm Clothier with Family Healthcare Associates. I'll tell you, um, again, as this thing continues to rage on, and now we're having conflict between the White House, the FDA, the CDC, it's making things even more interesting. Uh, and of course, you know, my biggest, my biggest complaint about all of this really goes away from the vaccine and more about our border and immigration policy here in the United States. We are so worried about mass spreaders here in the U.S., we are so worried about COVID-19 spreading, uh, or at least the White House acts like they are. But then at the same token, when it comes time to protecting our borders, our president and our government doesn't seem to think it's necessary. Uh, now, what I do find interesting is that we have this new border crisis, and I say new only because there's a bit of a twist. Most of the folks that are out in Del Rio, Texas, are Haitians trying to cross over. And the president has increased the number of flights leaving the area and flying Haitians back to Haiti. Um, and it kind of blows me away from the standpoint that that wasn't his policy, and that's not what he's been doing for people who have come up through Central America, Latin America and Mexico to cross the border here in the United States. And so I'm curious as to what the difference is. In fact, what I also find interesting is that you think they would be political ref uh, refugees after all of the political unrest and uncertainty going on in Haiti, uh, the lack of vaccinations going on in Haiti as well uh, for COVID-19. And so, but yet at the same token, we don't seem to be worried about it for folks coming up through again, Latin America, Central America, and Mexico to cross the border. Uh, big issues, big issues with that and how that's coming about. You know, I had this conversation with somebody who was extremely liberal the other day, and I said, you know what, like Donald Trump or don't like him, uh, his immigration policy was the first policy in decades, uh, if not almost a century, 
of at least addressing the immigration issue and marching forward to do something to create legal migration into this country versus illegal immigration into this country by just simply crossing a border at a border crossing where nobody could find you and you can go through somebody else's ranch or farm and find your way to a major city. So I think that it's interesting uh, that we're doing what we're doing right now with Haitians, uh, but we weren't doing it and aren't doing it when we talk about working with folks coming from Latin America, Central America, and Mexico. So I don't know what your thoughts are on that. Um, I just know that I'm pretty serious about the fact that this is pretty doggone no good along our border. Now, to give you a little personal experience, my business partner and I, we went uh, on down to McAllen, Texas, to work with one of the schools that we work with down in the in the Rio Grande Valley. And we're getting on our plane. Well, let me take us back. We, we pull in to fly home, and we're at the ticket counter, and I'm observing a, a fairly, there were two moms, clearly, one of them pregnant. One of them had uh, two smaller children, and what looked like to be about a 16 to 18 year old boy and or young man, pardon me. I'm sure that was offensive to somebody. And so I'm watching them and there's no luggage. They aren't checking anything at the ticket counter in. They don't speak English. Their Spanish isn't very good. Uh, the gentleman working behind the counter for American Airlines spoke fluent Spanish and they all had a packet in their hands. And in this packet, or on this packet, on the front of it was a white piece of paper. Now, some of them had an orange piece of paper. And uh, I know, I noticed that it said something in English. I couldn't make it out. We get to the gate and still trying to read it, can't make it out. But then I'm noticing these wristbands that people have that are from that group on their wrist. And I noticed that probably about 33% of the flight had folks with these wristbands on. And I'm thinking, huh, this has got to be folks that have been processed and sent over from the border where they've crossed and given a plane ticket, because I'd heard this had been happening, uh, plane tickets and bus tickets. And again, the idea was to let people go to their family members that live already in the States, right? So I'm watching this, I go to get on the plane, and as we do, we get held up because these families, and there were about nine people in this one group, all of them had sat in the wrong seats. And so the gentleman on the plane who was a flight attendant came forward, was speaking Spanish. They were confused. Um, it was almost like his Spanish was too formal for them, and they weren't able to read their tickets at all where it had their seat assignments. The other flight attendant comes up from behind me, and she says, well, um, let me, let, she goes, heck, I don't know. I don't think I can help them anyways. And I'm like, well, what do you mean? Well, I don't even speak Spanish, and they seem like they're confused by his Spanish. And I said, interesting. I said, why is everybody having to sit in the absolute right seat? It looks like they probably all are together, and they're all sitting in the seats that were assigned to that group. Why does that matter? And evidently the FAA is cracking down on those that are not sitting or not being forced to sit in their right seats, I guess, and can cause the audit to ding American Airlines. And I said, well, how does Southwest Airlines get away with it when they do cattle call airline? And her response was, well, 
only thing I can think of is that they've already got a waiver to be able to do that. And I said, interesting. Okay. So that took about 15 or 20 minutes to get them sorted, put into place, get everybody seated. I got to go on to my seat. My partner got to go on to his seat. Um, of course, he made the mistake. He got up because, hey, I'm going to use the restroom responsibly before we get on this plane and start taking off. And I'll come back to my seat. Well, when he came back to his seat, there were two new people sitting where he and I were supposed to be sitting. And I think that there was so much frustration caused by this. The flight attendant looked at him and said, just sit right there. And she didn't mean it meanly. It was just like, dude, I don't even know where to go with all of this. And so he ended up sitting down in a seat that wasn't even belonging to him. But it was so important that everybody sat in the right seat. So, I mean, mass confusion at this point on what's going on and, and what what are the rules and are we only watching and enforcing those rules for certain people? Don't know that. So I'm in the very back of the plane and I'm talking with the flight attendant there. He's got he's from Colombia. He has two degrees, uh, one of them in Spanish, one of them in French. Um, and he he told me he goes, I don't get paid enough for this. He said that the craziness of it is that they were having a hard time understanding his Spanish, uh, which, again, I, I believe that they were struggling. And, and I told my business partner, I said, this is not to be rude or mean, um, but these folks were just very low. Uh, and, and I meant that from the standpoint that they, they can't read. They can barely speak their own language. And I think that they don't have any any efficacy when it comes to formality within their language and so it was very interesting uh to have that conversation with them well then one of the kids in the family gets very very sick i mean throwing up uh they couldn't tell if he had a fever or not uh and this is all in an enclosed cabin um in the plane when we get down we had to wait for medical staff um majority of people got to exit the plane of course i was in the back so i got to wait for all the doctors nurses EMTs, whoever come on the plane. But I got to sit and talk with the flight attendant. And I told him, I said, you know, one of the things that I noticed is that nobody had a ticket to get onto the plane. They just seemed to scan their wrist bracelet. And he says, well, they also have an identifying ankle bracelet on as well. And I said, really? And he said, yeah. And so evidently the government is paying for these tickets. And on the sheet of paper, I finally got to read one. It said, I don't speak any English. I don't know which plane I'm supposed to be on. Can you please help me? Smiley face. And I'm like, wow. Well, then in talking to the flight attendant more, he said that he was talking with one of them. They had come in early, early, early that morning, processed, allowed to take a shower, given a meal, handed this packet, put on a bus, and sent to the airport, and then on a plane. I mean, no COVID-19 testing, no screening, no, hey, have you had any of your shots or anything, measles, uh, mumps, whooping cough, any of that, and just put on a plane in general population, but yet we're going to shut America's economy down. We're going to shut our social structure down because we're worried about mass super spreaders when along our border, we are promoting super spreading and just throwing people in the general population. It makes no sense to me. I don't understand it. I don't know that it will ever make sense to me. Um, Brett, I know that we've got a picture. If you'll throw that picture up, I'd like everybody to see the picture that uh, we found. 
you know, and again, I don't know if you've heard, but so Fox News had drones that were taking video footage of what was going on along the border. Uh, the FAA has now since put a stop to that. And so now at Fox News has gotten themselves where they are riding in the helicopters with GPS to be able to show what's going on along the border. And if you don't know that it's a crisis, then you don't, you don't live in the same world the rest of us live in. There are now over 15,000 people along that border, people having babies. There was terrible weather down there uh, yesterday. Uh, people are in culverts having children. It's mass hysteria along our border. And there has to be some form of organization, some form of, hey, we've got to take care of what's going along our southern border. The mayor of Del Rio has announced that they are in a, in a disaster emergency situation. Um, and all they're doing now is trying to shift people down to Eagle Pass and along down the border, the southern border. You know, this morning, my business partner he made, a, he made an interesting observation. How is it that the Haitians are getting all the way up to Del Rio? It makes no sense that they would land and go that direction rather than towards McAllen and the more direct route. And so it makes you wonder, things that make you go, hmm, you know, are we in fact busing people to a certain spot on purpose to cause this chaos and keep ourselves in this absolute flux? And so I'm going to tell you, it was the, I got to experience this firsthand. It was very, very interesting. Um, it, again, 33% of the plane was with folks that had these packets and these wristbands. The family that was sick when I was talking to the flight attendant, he said, yeah, their stop's not even in Dallas. They're going from uh, McAllen to Dallas to San Francisco, and that is their final landing place. And so, folks, I'll tell you, um, if you've got family down there or friends down there, pray for them. This is definitely, this is definitely a scary time in our country and how we are handling this. And again, like I said, like him or lump him, uh, at least there was good immigration policy, not great moving forward and changing what the uh, the classic, hey, this is what we do to go along to get along, which I am not a fan of. So with that being said, I know that uh, I hear the music playing in my background. Brett, thank you so much for producing this morning and getting us off the ground. Um, you know, if you are on a plane, I do recommend that you take care of yourself and your family if they're on there with you. Um, I know that these folks don't understand instructions very well. They're struggling. And our government has decided that this is the best way to handle our immigration policy along our southern border. And folks, if you don't think these, these folks are being sent all over the country, you are sadly mistaken. Again, just in my one little airplane bubble, folks are being flown to San Francisco. He's going another family is being flown to New Jersey. And we had some that were settling here in Dallas, Texas. And so with that being said, all of you have a very blessed day. We will see you on Wednesday. Don't forget a ton of fun coming up with the State Fair of Texas. Oh, I got to do that better. The State Fair of Texas. So everybody have a blessed Monday. Have a great week. And we will talk at you later. Thank you.